Well, good day. I'm Mark Sylvester, your host for this 805 Conversation, where we talk to fascinating people you'll want to know better. If this is your first time listening, hey, thanks for coming. The 805 Conversations podcast is produced every other week, and show notes are found at 805connect.com. Hey, you might want to subscribe so you don't miss any of our upcoming shows. The show is sponsored by California Lutheran University School of Management and Tolman and Weicker Insurance Services. Thanks to them both for their support and encouragement. And thanks to our podcasting partner, Pull String Press, for this great studio. And Patrick, my co-host. Hey, Patrick. Hi, Mark. Patrick, I'd like you to meet our guest who happens to be from California Lutheran University. I've heard of it. Yes, Harry Starn. Harry, how are you? Oh, very good. Thank you for the invitation. Harry, there's a ton of initials behind your name. Which ones are the most important oh, ones? I guess just junior, right? <laughs> just junior. <laughs> What'd your dad do? Oh, he was in the uh, food marketing industry. Food marketing. Yes. Tell me about that. Yeah. They, uh, they started with a family uh, trucking business, which evolved into a uh, grocery store. And then it ended up being four. They became part of the Wakefern Food Corporation, which was a huge co-op. And back in the 70s, it was at the time a $2 billion co-op. And my, my father was on, the, um, w- was on the board of directors. And so he was very inspirational in that area. And I've learned a lot of, from him about management and how to relate to people. And, and what part of the world was that in? That was in New Jersey. So New Jersey. I, yep, I'm an East Coast guy. Nice. When did you come to this side of the planet? About 10 years ago. But b- between there, there was a lot of travel, and I lived in Boulder, Colorado for 20 years. Oh, I love Boulder. Very it's co- wonderful, isn't right? it? Right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Do you miss it? Uh, you have to miss some of it. Absol- absolutely. Just the whole feel of the city, what it right. brings with the university and all the wonderful things to do there. There's a great startup community there in Boulder. Was there, were you involved in any of that peripherally at all? No, I wasn't. Yeah, that Boulder is um, kind of known now as one of the kind of the gold standards for how do you create a startup community and how, what does that look like with the relationship between the university and the community and the business community and all of that. It's, it's kind of interesting, a guy named Brad Feld wrote a book called Startup Communities, and he's from Boulder. And I see. So whenever I, he, he, I think of Boulder, I think of that instantly, and then I think of Red Rocks. Oh, absolutely. Right. 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 It's just a great place to see a concert, yeah? And it's a, uh, there's an energy there, which right? I could see would be perfect for the startup. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's absolutely perfect. Then you came to, was it California Lutheran University that got you out here? Yes, I had been teaching for California Lutheran Online. Uh, starting oh. in 2005, and that was when the MBA in financial planning program, that's personal financial planning, helping people you know, get their financial goals and objectives and, 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 and dreams, um, I was teaching in that program from there, and I kind of specialized in online, a skill that I developed when I was teaching for Regis University in Denver. So there was there. I want to unpack all of that. Um, mm-hmm. So you, so your the t- your title is director of the financial planning program. So yes, and and in reading about that, there's there's it feels there's a lot of administrative, and you run a whole organization of people. But what's the the mission of that group? The mission of the MBA in financial planning is. Per- prepare financial planning professionals to go out and serve their clients and serve the greater community. And so the individuals coming through here 
are really looking to working in the field which would enable them to specialize. So they may say, I'm, I'm going to offer wealth management and at the same time, holistic financial planning, right. which has really evolved <clears throat> over the last 20 years. And perhaps we could talk about that. Or they may say, I want to do income tax preparation along with holistic planning, or maybe implementing insurance um, strategies around comprehensive planning. Tell me about holistic planning. I've not heard that word. Right. So when we think about uh, before, people would simply, a lot of times they would use that word, but they're just specialized in maybe helping you invest for retirement. But the idea of holistic now is sort of takes on a context maybe like life planning, helping people understand, first of all, who they are, what are their values, what are, what are their goals, what are their fears, those sort of situations, understand what they're about, and then from there to start to apply the tools, the technical skills that we can bring in helping people structure their portfolios, structure their their entire, um, I guess, game plan to, to embrace taking a look at the risk management, which is sort of the floor sure, of everything. Sure. And then on top of there, looking at strategic uh, tax planning and estate planning, and then from there, how to do college funding and thinking about cash and debt management. And then you get into the idea of uh, investment portfolios and retirement. And in the holistic is the idea of the art and the science to understand the person, their dreams, what they, the lifestyle they want to live, and then helping them position to get there. So as I, I say to my students, what we're doing is really improving the probability that our clients will get to where they want to go in a way they're willing to get there. Mm. And I think that's important. Mm -hmm. So there's something about financial planning that I, I'm curious about. When do you bring that person into your into your life, right? Because as as a the the person who's listening to this show, they might be an entrepreneur, mm -hmm. they would a startup, or they're middle manager, or whatever. They're they're involved in business in some way, which is how they came to the show. Um, but I I think they might think that the financial planner is at the point when they've got a lots of finances to manage. Would you agree or disagree with that? Usually there's a transition point, and that's what brings a transition in their life that brings them to the door of the financial planner. It can be anything from, for some people, maybe a marriage, or definitely the birth of a child. Oh my goodness, oh. I've got responsibilities. What about this college? What am I going to do there? It could be the business owner where, at that point in time, the need to think about planning within the business what type of what type of benefits might they structure so they can attract high quality individuals and mm, keep them? Mm, you mm. can also get into the you know certainly transitions like the death of a spouse or, or um, uh, you know some type of personal loss transition or maybe maybe there's a disability in the family or a child with a special needs. There's going to be something some tipping point where the individual says you know something I could use some help. In, in figuring out how to do this. I can use a sounding board, somebody to help me, uh, you know, clarify goals, clarify what I need to do and move on. So that's what the planner becomes. Wears a lot of different hats. It could be uh, certainly an educator, uh, a counselor, an advisor, but also an advocate, someone for a sounding board, someone to ask the questions to help you, the client, start to figure out where am I and where do I want to go. Separate question, but got me thinking why is it that Ventura County has got so many financial planners? Is it because of the, this 
this uh, hub of activity there, but it just seems like in the financial services industry, there is a there's a whole lot of those people. Yeah, I think I think if you start to take a look geographically, where the planners would be, I don't want to say they follow the high net worth, but typically, the the families that do have assets maybe would say, I have the ability to bring in this advisor. One of the challenges of financial planning, and certainly something we think about, how do we better serve middle America and even, mm. even um, you know, the, uh, the individuals without a lot of assets? And that's what is really one of our challenges. One of the ways that planners typically do that is they will carve out time during the month for pro bono work. But okay. still, we're thinking about how do we better reach individuals, particularly knowing the financial literacy is so poor. When they take a look right, in colleges, right, right, right. how will people – well, the latest survey I saw that most of the categories were Ds and Fs. And, 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 huh. and we need to understand that because when people understand just these basic strategies, what we can do, it can save them tens of thousands of dollars over the year and a lot less stress. And, and I think that's what we're starting to realize. Is the – just, I don't know why I thought this. Is the financial planner kind of a CFO role for the family? Yeah, so that's a good question. So I've heard different explanations. Some people say, well, you're the quarterback of the team of other advisors because someone may say, I may have my own tax right. professional or have right. my insurance professional. Another, another way I, I've heard a gentleman out of San Diego who came to one of my online classes and he was sharing with the group, he thought of it as the client as being the owner, the planner as being the financial planner as being the head coach and with the other ones as being the assistant coaches. So you hear a lot of different metaphors for how this all works. But we wear a lot of hats and certainly because it is so broad and you can't know you can't specialize in everything. Right, right. Then in fact what you do is you're working with other professionals. But in that communication piece of integrating that collective knowledge to provide better solutions is what it's about. How does someone find a financial planner? Yeah. So one of the ways to do that is, uh, well, there's certain designations. Now, one of the, um, I, I guess, leading or the emerging designations is the CFP, Certified Financial Planner. That's out of Washington, D.C. Um, I was on their board of edu uh, Council of Education for several years and then chaired that. They are emerging, so the CFP. So if you went to their site, they would have a list of individuals by geographical region, by specialty that you could find. But there are other cert other certifications and organizations out there, including NAPFA, which is the fee-only planners. And that's a wonderful group of about, I think, 3,000 probably members. And if you went to their site, they would give you fee planners in their area. But there's also other specification uh, certifications. The CHFC is out of the American College, which is in Bryn Mawr, Pennsylvania. They started in the insurance space, and now they, they have also embraced uh, this this greater sense of holistic planning and you could find their planners and then the the tax professionals mm. they're coming mm. up with the uh, pfp program there so by going to these organizations then you can start to see who has dedicated the time to collect the knowledge surround themselves with other professionals like themselves that we can learn from or have dedicated themselves to high ethic, ethical standards and continuing education. That's where I would start. Well, that's the, you say ethics and you, you hear all these horror stories about, you know, the, the person who just didn't really have a financial grasp of things. So they, they found someone 
<laughs> delegated it all to them, and then they find out they're broken, right? right you know, five or ten oh, years yeah. or something, and and so that that planner in your inner so that quarterback boy you're trusting the fam literally trusting the family jewels with them absolutely and trust is an issue that we talk about in the classes all the time first of all how do we earn trust and that's what we have to do mm. we earn trust you just don't walk in with a sign that says i'm a financial planner and here's my card or to right. say okay i have certifications but when you do that that's simply i think that helps but a client doesn't care how much you know until they know how much you care and you show that oh, when you say that again, yeah, mm-hmm. a cl- the client does not care how much you know until they know how much you care. And when you care is when you know about the family, you know about mm. who they are, w- w- you know, what's what's keeping them up at night. What are they, you know, what are they yeah, comfortable okay. with? How are you going to move them? All those issues like that. I, I remember this one um, workshop, I think it was out in Washington. It was a wonderful presentation by one group and, and they show a picture up on the wall and they, and they show the family you know, on the beach with the children and that sort of thing and they go, what's missing from this picture? And we're sitting here going, well, it looks pretty good. There's a husband, there's a wife, there's the children, the grandchildren. And then somebody finally says, the dog, I don't see I the dog. I was just gonna say there's no dog. There's no dog. And they, and, they, and they say, exactly, when you know the name of the dog, you've just communicated, you know a lot about that family. But I thought mm-hmm. it was a wonderful mm-hmm. story about what it's about. It's really about the long-term relationship. And that's what I think our industry is moving from. 30 years ago, it was sort of like, give me your bank statements, let's see where you are, here's a solution, here's a fund, something like that. It's really evolved over the last 25 years to where we're really understanding what's going on inside. And then from there, it's planning solutions, not products anymore. It moves from products to solutions and what we can do to develop that relationship. We had um, the head of Mission Wealth Management Mm-hmm. on the show early gosh in the within the first 20 shows and he talked about exactly what you're saying right which is go in and camp out at the family's home for a little while and figure out what it is they want to do yeah there's actually there was a tent patrick yeah, you know, yeah there was a tent involved it's a good story uh, and and you know just really understanding what it is they wanted to do and where they wanted to go and helping them to to plan for that how so we we figured out how to find one it's probably though more likely i'm not going to go on to yelp and look for a a financial planner you're going to talk to your friends right and find out what they like so now i'm i'm in that meeting with that person and they're probably trying to qualify me that planner's trying to qualify me at the same time exactly um what are the three questions there are some of the obvious ones but what are the three questions that they should ask that planner that are going to help them figure out if that's the right one for them. Yeah. I think, uh, first of all, from the other position, very quickly, and let me come back to your question. So as, a, as, as the planner going into that qualifying session, there's a number of things you want to sort of think about that you have to have that you need to get out of that. You need to understand what brought that person to the table. You need to understand mm. what their expectations would be for success. In other words, what would have to happen a year from now, two years from now, for you to sit back and say, you know, it was all worthwhile. Mm -hmm, I'm glad to mm -hmm. see you. Clearly, Mm -hmm. you need to understand the dynamics of the decisions you're making. You need to find out enough to say, can I help this individual? Do I have the skill set? And second of all, is this the type of personality, client that's going to work for me? So on the other side of, 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 of the table, I think you'd be asking questions like, 
what type of problems do you typically work with? What, what's, what is your niche? Not, I don't want to say niche that way, but you understand. Yeah. What, about other, um, what about other clients that you're working with? You know, where are they coming from? So you're understanding what are they specializing in. You need to get a sense, I think, of their history. Um, you know, either how long have they been in business, but not even that, the sense of uh, what is their commitment to that? What are they putting in, in, in respect to, uh, you know, education and inspect to time? And then somehow you have to get a sense of that ethics. And of course, the integrity that they're bringing to the relationship, but then you want some referrals. Right? I mean, you want, you'll be able to check them out. You know, you're going to ask, is there a couple of your clients I can talk to? They say that when you hire a consultant, you're not hiring the consultant's expertise, you're hiring the consultant's network. Yeah, I, I think that's that's a good observation. For years, one of the things I talked with, with our students about, and I think it's really important, we're selling an intangible, we're providing an intangible. So you, you have to understand the value that you bring to your clients. And I think that's really important when you understand what is it? So I, I've gone around for years asking planners, you know, what do you think is the one thing? If you had to say, what is the one piece of value that you bring? What is that? And you get some wonderful answers like, well, I, I bring, I bring um, peace of mind. I bring education. I bring this focus that I'm going to be there and I'm always going to answer the telephone. I'm going to get back to them. And finally, in, uh, in an article, the gentleman hit it on the head. Oh, another guy said, um, I, I'm that macro manager who sort of you all you have all these individual pieces but I'm the one who pulls it all together again that right, idea right. But the one that really resonated with me was a gentleman said I think we bring wisdom and that wisdom is from our years of working and looking at similar situations and living through different market cycles and doing that stuff and it's that perspective that sounding board and I, I thought that was for me really uh, it, it just hit the nail on the head well, that's also the person <clears throat> you want them to be a calming influence as well, right? Especially when there's market turmoil and all of those kinds of things, right? Yes. Is there that, it's the person, do you want a little gray hair on that person? Um, listen, that, that's <coughs> a wonderful thing about this energy. See this gray hair starting, right? Uh, <laughs> and rather than becoming obsolete, we were perceived as having more value because we've lived through some more. So that's, that's I think, that's true. One of my students went to a quarterly meeting, and um, he, he was trying to network and talk to individuals. One of the planners, and I was very shocked that the planner would say this, because it is a very friendly industry. There's a lot of clients. And he said to the student who was interested in wealth management, helping people position portfolios, he said, how could you possibly do what I do because you don't have any experience? You haven't lived through anything. And the student was, like, discouraged. And I said to him, I said, now this was like in 2010, and I said, you should have asked him how his portfolios did in 2008 and 2009, which devastated everybody. A lot sure, of them. Sure. And the question being, I said, don't underestimate what you're bringing. You're pursuing a master's degree. You are doing this work here. Yes, it might be nice if you want a team, but you're going to relate to a lot of people. And I think one wonderful thing about this industry, there's, there's clients that need to hear your voice or your voice or my voice and there's sort of a connect and said don't underestimate what that guy said I don't agree with I understand he's bringing perspective but you're learning how to hedge portfolios you're learning a lot of things that he may not even have because 
over the years, people have called themselves financial planners just by a title. You're, you're pursuing it, you're showing your client, you think enough of them to go through all this work, and I think that's extremely valuable. Well, you're a master in it. That's, that's just right. You know, that, I, love, I love mastery. Yeah, mastery. Of course, it's called financial planning practice, just like a, uh, a, a physician has a practice because we continually practice our skills. We learn from each other. We fine-tune us to keep better and better. And I thought uh, one thing of these programs, there are programs and other programs like that, we jumpstart. We jumpstart because we connect the students to content, to faculty with their networks and their knowledge, and with other students many of whom are already working in the industry. You've, you've worked, obviously worked at the, at the national level with the national organizations and looked at the big problems facing this industry. I've got a couple of financial planner friends. Mm. And one of the things that... <laughs> some, of, uh, some of my best friends are financial planners. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. They have the t-shirt. Yeah. Um, w- one of the things that they bemoan, or it's not bemoaning, because uh, I'll talk to them about marketing, because I'm, I'm always, let's, how can we get more clients, right? And, uh, oh, we can't do that, or I can't do that, or there's, a, the, it is, they're very heavily regulated around what they can and can't say, and they have um, compliance officers. Mm-hmm. So tell me about that. Why, why does that all exist? It, it does that to protect the public. Now we have we have it. Uh, if you think about it, an individual lacks maybe that depth of knowledge, and so they're coming trusting. They're trusting that you have that because you're saying right. that you have it, and they deserve that, right? The the laws themselves are different areas. You can think about the different regulation that comes at the federal level, starting you know, and and that can be handed down to the. Uh, delegated the SEC or FINRA or that sort of thing. So you have, and you also then have the state. So we have the federal and the state regulations. Then we can think about self-regulation within the industries themselves. It could right. it could be whether it's, uh, you know, at at, at the brokerage or whatever um, organizations such as the, you know, CFP board. And then you have within the organization itself. You know, the compliance department. Right, right. And then we have general business laws, right, and ethics and, that, and the ethic codes that flow all the way through that. The, the regulations tend to be reactionary. We have an abuse. Sure. Let's jump sure. on it. So you had 1928 with the collapse in the market and all the, right. you know, they go in and they go in and, and the word blue skies came from when they actually went in to investigate a company and they went into the storehouse. There was nothing in the storehouse but blue blue skies and they were selling it like it was a real that's business. That's where that came from? Oh, yeah. That's where it came huh. from. So it, it's huh. really fascinating. Huh. So you have all these different layers. The other night in the class, one of the students asked me, where do you think the toughest regulation comes from? My response, oh. my, and it was an interesting conversation, different people had perspectives, but I think that if the company, the firm itself, takes this serious, and they better be taking this serious, I would think that it, the firm's compliance department within there should be the toughest because they have to comply with all these different laws, and they need to make sure we're treating the clients right. This is a really big deal, and it's really well, it, important. It feel, that's why I wanted to, to ask about it and spend a little time on it. It feels second only to um, the pharma and the, all the disclaimers and all of the, the fine print you have in pharma. Mm-hmm. Because I guess, I guess it has to do with that's physical health. And if I give you the wrong, make the wrong prescription or the drug doesn't work right, you die. 
right? So there's that's pretty harsh consequences. And in, in this case, if you get the wrong advice or whatever, you lose the nest egg and that's a financial death. So I get the importance of it. There's one particular regulation, though, that I don't quite understand and help me understand it, <laughs> which is that um, you can't have um, testimonials that say this planner, you know, Harry helped me earn X percent. Right. You, you right. can't you can't in your advertising, like at a cocktail party, I can say that, but you can't say that. Why is that? So, so when I was in Boulder, which is odd. Yeah, I know. When I was in Boulder, Colorado, I called up the state uh, investment commissioner. They asked that exact question. Why? Oh, why is that? Right? Because I wanted oh, to get okay. the and and what he said was this. He says, you know, Mark's investment portfolio reflects his need, his time horizon, his risk tolerances, his preferences, his constraints, his tax situation. Yours or the other client can be very different. So when you say, Harry made me 20% on my money, and the person says, you're going to make me 20% on my money, the other individual may not have the risk capacity or the financial capacity for the same portfolio. So you're comparing apples and oranges. What you do want to ask is, how was was that relationship? Did, Did the planner do it? he or she said she was going to do. So it was a different was it, question. Yes, that's the different thing. That could be the testimonial that I'm totally thrilled working with this firm. I always so you could high. have you that. You could do that, yes. Or you can. But you can't go into like an investment portfolio returns. I did, I've been doing great with because that's not comparable. And is, I, is that also because inside of this this industry, much much like when you hear people who are heavily invested in places, they're like, I'm, I can't make comments on stock trades because my comments will affect the market, whereas that's the same thing where it's saying um, the, the only basis we have for this is, is is an endorsement like that on, oh, he made me 20%. It just swings too heavy. Like it just absolutely, that's that's too too valuable of a statement or it's too uh, uh, prejudicial. Like it, like it gets me, oh, 20%. That's a number. I can get attached to that. Um, the, the number is yeah. what you can't get attached. You, you can't get attached right. to that number. Yeah. Because you can't promise, because that number is just too... I'm just saying, like it's 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 like those are the results, and and you're almost that's it's an implied promise, right? I remember um, the, the individual who started Cal Lutheran's uh, MBA in financial planning program, Dr. Samnath Basu. I always remember he said one time to me, "If you are marketing your firm on a return, on a number, yeah. that's a loser's game. You oh. you want to market your firm on what you are bringing." What's your your commitment to the relationship, your knowledge, your teams, the way that you work? That's what you can actually promise. Mm, that's what mm. you can deliver on. A number, because the market is the market, and we don't have a crystal ball. Don't you think we've also had probably years, there was there were periods of years there where people were just walking a number out and saying, this is what our firm right. can do. We'll do 50%, 20%, and that, that turns out to be so damaging to, to the people who then didn't receive that. Uh, yes, you you had the people marketing on that. And I think that's why you're seeing more and more of the compliance, now the annual audits, and, and what, what can happen when you do that. Right. What draws, uh, uh, let me rephrase this. At what point does a student decide they're in college, you know, they, they're in high school, okay, I'm going to go to, I'm going to go to whatever colleges I'm going to go to, and I'm going to be this. At what point do they say, I want to be a financial planner? Is yeah. there a 
inflection point there? Right. So, so we're getting to the idea of how do we find our vocation, our purpose, and that's really important. And um, at the undergraduate level, when you come in, clearly that's what that's what that bachelor grade part of that is all about. And so, how do you find that out? Well, one, there are the advisors themselves, and the faculty advisor, or the professional advisor, should be asking the questions, things like. What type of classes do you enjoy? Which ones do you just despise? When you uh, have you had any jobs that were actually energizing? Which one just felt like they were leaving mm, a dream? Mm. So you're trying <clears throat> to get to what is that person about, and then starting to let them know the different alternatives. Now, many students will find their path because of some inspirational teacher, right? right? We, right we can right, all right, think right, about right, that teacher right. that made a difference in our lives, and so. I think the idea here is that you can then, working through the network, the, the support staff at the university, start to talk to different professors, start to talk to the advisors and ask them for contacts, relationships, mentors that can start to show them the possibilities. What percentage of students, though, actually do that? Because I get a sense that it's like a 5%. See, I think it's a really big deal. And you're right. And that's why I, I, <laughs> I, why we're here. That's why we're talking about this. <laughs> and, and, and that's why I was kind of inspired to write a book, which is coming out this weekend. Oh, congratulations. Yeah. Oh, thank you. It's, and, and this one is uh, How to Succeed at a uh, Private College or University. Um, mm. And it's, it's an insider's perspective on navigating the classroom, but in fine, making a meaningful um, experience. And that meaningful experience is all about this, understanding there's a lot of support there, and I was inspired to well, do that's, that. Well, that, that's, that's the point, is that you, you, you create all of these mm -hmm. processes and all mm -hmm. this support stuff, and then you're just sitting there with a the shingle on the door, and there's like two kids. It's like, oh, come on, how do you right. get more? I mean, you, right. you know how valuable it is. Um, I, I want to ask you, though, uh, as we're on this finding your purpose, when did you decide you wanted to do, not be in the financial side, but to be a professor? What was that? You know, and I think our journey, maybe success in life is finding out what we're meant to do or what really yeah, yeah. line. And the one consistency over time was I really did enjoy teaching, whether it was when I was in the service or whatever. There was some point in me that I would teach, right? In the service. that You went to West Point. Yeah, I did. I did. Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. And, and so, you know, doing there, you're, you're, you're training your teams. And then when right, I was in corporate, right, you're right. training your managers, and you're starting to see them grow. And that uh, always inspired me. And then when I was in... Uh, in Boulder, I was, um, you know, doing wealth management and financial planning. I started to teach for Regis University. So and that, no, so that was, hold on. So that you had a job as a financial planner. Right. Mm -hmm. And it was just because that was a interesting job or I mean how did that happen it, it was it was in a, it was it was aligned someone in the said area. hey Harry you got to come and be a financial planner no well, I had gone back to graduate school in finance and okay. so I learned about it that, and I okay. actually once again there's always someone who inspires well, that's, you yeah, yeah. and the gentleman who had the firm was also a West Pointer and so there was an automatic connection and I started moving in that area right and it was interesting in this respect that uh, then I started teaching a lot of corporate finance at Regis, working with adults, and I enjoyed that. It was helping them transition, improve, you know, maybe a better job uh, in advancement. And I was going to start a financial planning um, a curriculum at Regis, but they were oh. going through a program review, and they said, you'll have to wait like a year. 
And that's when all of a sudden uh, I connected with, with Dr. Basu out here and that sort of history. Then boom, I boom. went this way. You know? Boom, boom. You just never know. But as far as the teaching, it's sort of aligned with who I am and what I really enjoy and what it energizes me. Yeah, you're, um, for the listeners not here, you're, you're pretty lit up right now, which is kind of <laughs> nice. You know, you're just, you can tell you're very excited about it, which is, which is what we want. And I have to say that that is a, um, it's, it's interesting. We have a lot of professors on the show through the relationship with California Lutheran. And I love having professors on the show because it, it feels like the only people that get to listen to you are other professors or other professionals as you go to conferences and your students and the general public doesn't get to enjoy the thing that you're most passionate about so we hope through the podcast we we give voice to that wonderful and i i'm i'm interested also in i want to get back to how they decide that they want to be a financial planner is there a because this is, we ask this question a lot, like why would someone want to go into public administration? Why does someone right. want to go into public service? Why do, like, why would you want to go do that? Is it the... I always wonder if it's the, if the, I, I've met former athletes that got injured uh, when they were in high school and then, mm. and now they're studying physical therapy because they met a really great physical therapist that <laughs> oh. helped them. And so I wonder how many of your students at some point in their family met the financial advisor of the family were so kind of impressed with the way that that, that financial advisor supported their family that maybe that, uh. I wonder if that's a narrative that well, happens. Well, that could certainly be one of the avenues. One of the consistent messages that come from our students, and I don't exaggerate, but I would say 98% of the students will say the same thing. Why, why are you thinking about this program, financial planning. They say two, the same two reasons. Huh. One, I like this. I like the market or I like finance. I find it interesting. And two, I think I can help people. Yeah. And it's a uh. wonderful empowering saying this is where I need to teach huh. because yeah. that's the mindset right there. Their connection then is do they want, if they want to move into the area, do they want to work with individuals, families, or do they want to work in a corporate setting? Huh. So, you know, there's so many similarities between the financial statements of a corporation and individuals. They're different, but they're similar. You know, they're, they're, you see the interconnections, you learn the interconnections, and the same sort of thing that you're doing. You may be helping a business grow and move to where they want to do and with individuals, the same sort of thing. It's like a more empathetic, if, if you're going to work in finance, it's an empathetic way to work in finance where you get to participate with somebody that you get to experience the success that they get to have. Yes, and I think one of the beauties of this profession is you can create a business which is a reflection of you. Oh. So if you were saying, listen, oh, I, I, really, I really would like to do uh, wealth management and I want to understand what they are. So you could run it that way. You could then outsource the other pieces of it and work with other professionals. You have some people who are moving in the area of life coaching, life planning. They really want to be that person who has the connection. They're the quarterback. All the time. <laughs> and they may outsource everything. And now he's starting to really help the, under yes, the quarterback. Uh -huh. So you can either say, or, or again, you could be the, the tax accountant or the tax per, um, professional who wants to move in that situation. So you start to say, I can then work with the type of clients that I really want to work with. And, and not in the beginning. In the beginning, they tend to take everybody. But over time, you end up towards your A and B clients. Right. But the idea there is the business then reflects who I am, the way I want to run my business, the way I want to structure that. And when you understand the value that you're bringing, it's not an issue of being scared to say, this is what I have to charge to stay in business. Because you have to charge something so you can continue to help people. 
I, w- I imagine that somewhere in a locker room somewhere, there's a coach talking to his quarterback going, now listen, you, you've got to be like the financial advisor of this team, okay? <laughs> <laughs> like if you can get behind that analogy, uh, I need you to hand off <laughs> these investment the portfolios. <laughs> To the running back. Yeah. Yeah, uh, th- there you go. And I should go right. talk it's to the Rams because yeah, we're right training now. at Cal Lutheran now. Oh, right? nice. <laughs> I just, I just, I just imagine like, because we always use these sports analogies to make like it make more sense. Like, how do we take a complex thing like financial advising and make right. it kind of like attainable? And it's like, wouldn't that be amazing if like these very well educated, you know, professional football players were, were sitting around going, now financial advisement, that's kind of like quarterbacking, right? I love it. So it's the reverse. Yeah. So the Rams that you just dropped, go back up a second. The Rams are practicing. Yes, for, for I think for the next three years or so, they're they're, they're trained. They're doing their spring, you know, their their practices, and also doing the week up there. Huh. So back in the day, I ran off-campus food service at UCSB. Oh sure. And I was the chef at chef manager at the Fountain Blue Apartments. And that's where the Raiders stayed. Oh, in the summertime. Back in the, uh, uh, yeah, early 70s. Practiced at uh, Harder Stadium. That right across the street. Yeah. And uh, uh, endless food. Just unlimited food. Are you trying to oh. say that football players can eat? They can. It was super nice, too. Super nice. So I it must be fun having those guys I imagine there. they all have financial advisors. I would I would hope that they're all, all well taken care of. In well, the- you've watched, uh, what is it, Baller? on uh, HBO. It's about financial planning and athletes. I mean, that's what it's about. It's kind of interesting. So there you go. There's even a TV show yeah, for this. A nice tie-in. I love that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what is the, what's the, one of the things that I like to talk about is not just the, all the good things that happen, but what are the dragons in this story, the, that financial planner? So let's look at it. Let's answer it two ways. One, the dragon that they're always kind of worried about coming and the dragon for the family. What's the, and the dragon might be another way of saying is the, the challenge, the hurdle, the obstacles, the what do they got to get past? For, for running a practice? Uh, you know, just say, say, yeah, the financial place. So, so someone is thinking about, oh, that's interesting. I hadn't really thought about that. This, maybe this podcast was the inspiration for them to go look into, maybe it's a mid-career thing for someone. What, what should they be looking out for, the dragon? Well, some some of the students have the perception that they will just be sitting in a back office uh, running numbers and plans. Now, they can do that in the beginning of their career. They can do that as a paraplanner, for example. They can, paraplanner. That's called someone who is sort of taking the information like from Like a paralegal, the but paraplanner. Yeah, I, th- I think so. And they input that into software to, to help start to create some items there. Um, I think eventually they're going to outgrow that, and, and I hope they understand that we need to communicate how we can help somebody. And that's not, the idea of selling is a dirty word has really changed over time. We're simply communicating, this is the problem, I can help you get by. So at some point in time, I think their dragon may be the confidence to understand Mm. that they can get up in front of people and share, this is how I can be of assistance to you. And I've done this with other individuals. So that's one, 
there. I think that in one way to do that is nicely, I think, is working in a team where you can mm-hmm. sort of grow your way with yeah. that. An, a, a dragon for career changers might be, and, and, and by the way, many of, many of our students and many people in the profession are career changers. They, they've gone through the first, and then they say, this is my next phase. And, right, and, right. In fact, I had one gentleman from Denver. He, was a, he had been a, a dentist. He had owned his dental practice, huh. and he was in his 60s. Huh. Huh. And I said, what are you doing? And he goes, this is my next career. I'm going, what, really? I'm, what he was going to do was then uh, one day a week, he would intern, and his whole idea was as he would then sell his business over a few years, yep. he would then market back to the professionals that he knew so well because he had oh. been a national treasurer and he, treasurer for that organization, and he knew all their problems. He had a Rolodex. Yeah. Oh, my yeah. gosh. So, and so what a – and for him, he said, I had another 30 years to go. Oh, my you know? gosh. I how, love how, that. how wonderful is that, right? And already, he already has the gray hair. Uh, it, and he has gray hair. He, he's got he's off to a running start. But I think, I think under, understanding at some point in time, you need to be able to put yourself out there. Clearly, um, m- many people are understanding just – how many regulatory hurdles are in front of us. And yeah. one of the ways the industry is getting around that, if you're not working for a major firm with their own compliance, now there are compliance firms who sort of outsource to the oh. registered investment advisor. So there's a way you can work around that. Clearly, another dragon, if you're working on your own, is isolation. And I think it's really important. I was going to ask about yeah. that. You said you yeah. said teams, but it feels like every CFP that I know they're Lone Rangers. And, and so that, that is a potential trap because you can find yourself, you know, not interacting with people. Of course, you have continuing education. You have quarterly meetings. There's conferences you can go to. But I think you need to think That's about different. that. Yes, it is different. You have to think about where do I thrive? And, and I'll say to students, where, where, do you, where could you – what would be the perfect situation five years from now? What would you be doing financial planning-wise? Who would you be interacting with? What would your clients look like? Do you want to be in a small firm, large firm? You have to think through those you, issues. So you, that's a, the perfect question. How do they – do with that because a lot of times they go I have no idea professor so I the, have no, the, what do I how do you, you I like to say I know you don't know the answer right but if you did what do you think it might be which gives them permission to be wrong <laughs> absolutely and if we, if we, if that was the response I know I asked just the right question because mm-hmm. I haven't thought about mm-hmm. it yet in any venture you want to set it up for to maximize your success and you need to know what would your success look like? That doesn't mean it won't evolve over time. We understand that. But there are some potential traps. You can get lost if you go off in the beginning by yourself. Mm. And the other thing is for the career changers, the other dragon is if they have one level of income, if they're supporting their families, there would be a drop down in the beginning. And, of course, as, as that progresses, it will come back. Or can they do that? Have they thought about that? So those are some of the, I guess, the dragons, as you say. You were talking about confidence and the listener to the show knows that we we produce a TEDx event and we work with public speakers and we run speaking workshops and we think that communication is hugely important to any profession. Mm-hmm. Anybody anywhere mm-hmm. needs to be able to communicate to master influence. And one of our teachers, our influencers in that is actually down in the 805, a guy named Bo Eason. Mm-hmm. And he goes out and he was a, oh, let's go back to sports. He was an NFL player and, you know, his career ended on an injury and he went out and said, what do I want to do next? And now he's in his third incarnation, which is helping people speak. And 
one of his number one audiences is rooms of financial planners. Oh my goodness. See, right? You, that's, um, instantly right. thought of, I've met so many of them through his mastermind who, because they're in front of people all of the time talking and that confidence and certainty and understanding, so important. The, the art, the ability to communicate with the clients is so incredible. You need to explain, but you have to be clear. You have to be effective in how you're, how you're presenting that information because otherwise the best plan in the world is worthless if it gets put on a shelf. And we have to help them see the implications of action and inaction. We have to be able to communicate. What Bo, Bo does a thing called personal story power. It's mm -hmm. a two-day workshop. Uh, not an advertisement for that, but it's mm -hmm. been to it three different times. And he he gets it to where you you get your whole wrap down into a sentence, and then you have to give it in front of 200 people here mm -hmm. on stage. Mm -hmm. And the idea is that that audience doesn't know you. They don't trust you. They don't know you. They don't like you. But they want you to be success. They want you to succeed, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So how do you get them in that first sentence to trust you, to not take their eyes off of you, and then want to keep hearing from you, which sounds like, going back to the very beginning, that it's a, how do you build trust, mm -hmm. right? How do you build a relationship? How do I get it to where you're my trusted advisor, but I can't say trust me, because that's the first thing that's going <laughs> to blow away trust, right? Mm -hmm. do, you, do you focus on that? Oh, yeah. Storytelling is, is a major... Um, strategy in financial planning. It is incredibly useful as you're helping someone understand why they might want to take certain actions. You can tell anonymous stories about clients or you can certainly tell stories about yourself, particularly ones that you've messed up. Why? Well, let me tell you mm -hmm, about this. Mm -hmm. Let me tell you about this investment and, and how for 35 cents I didn't, you know, I didn't do it and, and it was, it made a 400% move. You know, stories like that. Um, it can be very, very, and I think it humanizes us too. And that's what it's about, right? So, okay. So self-deprecating sure. stories, even though I'm trying to instill trust in my confidence in my ability, the fact that I can tell you that I was unable in certain times actually increases your feeling of trust in me. Is uh, that what I, you said? I, yes, I do. I believe that because you're, you're showing that you had a growth too, that you mm. went through this, that you've learned something. You know, failure is only a failure if we keep doing it. If we take that in feedback and we use it, 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 become, it becomes a stepping stone, right? So in this case, what we're helping, and I think doing that, being very um, authentic with your client, what's, what better way to build trust? I, I love that. I, I want to, we're getting close to the end, but I want to, I saved something <laughs> And only because I have a personal interest in this. Um, which you can is, ask for a stock tip? No, apparently he would have to check with his compliance oh, officer that's a good point. Yeah, that's uh, a good point. for that. Yeah. Uh, no, I. Um, <clears throat> you don't know that we have a connection, which is that I've been working with the United States Distance Learning Association for about eight years. Um, they've been a client of mine. They're called the USDLA. Mm -hmm. And uh, I run the online community for the USDLA, which connects all of these distance learners to one another. And in 2010, you got a bronze award from them oh. for distance learning. And I'm really interested in, in 
distance learning because now it's like, well, of course I could learn online. I mean, look at lynda.com, look at, you know, the lots of successes. But in 2010, that wasn't so obvious. And, and but, but you started doing that a lot sooner, right? You were with Regis. Mm-hmm. What, are, what are the challenges, very specifically, the content I get, but how do you teach things like um, the trust, the relationships, the storytelling, the it feels like you kind of want to be in a room with people, but you didn't do it. How did you overcome that? Well, distance learning has really evolved since I first got started in 2003. Yeah. Yeah. And in fact, yeah, 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 yeah. And let me very quickly tell you how that started. I'm teaching a Saturday morning in Denver, a finance class. And, and about 15 minutes into the class, about the second or third class, a young lady walks into the back of the room. And I said, can I help you? You know, what are you looking for? She says, I've been taking this online and you can't learn finance online. And everyone else in the class shook their head and says, that's right, you can't do that. You can maybe learn English or religion. I know exactly, I remember exactly what they said, but you can't learn finance. And I sat there going, well, I don't understand why that is. That was my tipping point. That's when I fully went into this. Well, at the time, we would start with, uh, you would have your, you know, the the distance the asynchronous, we call it. In other words, the platform itself. We would do discussion boards. We would do problems. We'd do things right, like right, that. Right. But um, then we'd have a weekly chat. But the chat back then was typing. So we'd yep. come in and we would start to type. And actually, it was pretty cool. It would stream. It would be talking. And you'd be trying to build your community, talk about issues like trust yep. and everything yep. by typing. Well, then that evolved to voice. Yeah. And voice was nice, but except as a teacher, it became uh, uh, two stresses. First, the first one was that the first night, nobody said anything. And all of a sudden, right, you're used right, to everybody uh, streaming. And the second thing is when you had this typing, you could kind of always keep up a Google screen, right? In case somebody said, uh, yeah, like, sure. you know, what, what's the S&P 500 consist of? You could go over here. But, but now they could they could hear you. They wanted well, they, a response. Right, right, right. Right. So, so you learn this. And then yeah. we went to video. Yeah. So now they can see you. Now they can see. And they yeah, can yeah. see the eyes start to go up yeah. into the right hand. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, no? yeah. But But... The way, you do, the way you do that, talk about trust, talk about issues like this, I use a couple different ways. One, you may, you may prompt them with some readings that you're asking them, but you've got to bring that into those live discussions. And you have wonderful conversations and you have roundtables. So we might say, look, I saw this uh, presenter, Baldwin, at one of the ones talk about storytelling, right? And I share sure, briefly, sure. Let's, do, let's have the microphone going around. What are you doing with your clients? How are you using stories? And you get rich stories. So now you're taking basic content and you're taking it to the next level because we're showing application. And that's when it comes real. When somebody said, I saw the face on my client when I did this, mm. and I knew it resonated, right? That's where it kind of comes together. Distance learning, to me, the walls are down. We, well, now that we have streaming voice, streaming video, we have the ability for uh, uh, virtual uh, student lounges and stuff, it's the walls are down. I just take best of what works in my classroom, take it online, and vice versa. It's pretty cool. Are you still doing that? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. In fact, oh. our program right here, our MBA in financial planning, probably about 85% of the students are online. And about no 50, about 45% are already in the field. So we had a footprint. We've had a footprint over like 30-some different states. And so, and some of my faculty are located in Florida and Georgia because I can I can reach out. It doesn't out matter, right? Doesn't matter. Well, I love that. Um, and as just as our podcast goes to forty-two countries, possibly we'll get some new students for you. Uh, oh, wonderful! Wouldn't wonderful. that be nice? Yeah, and I'm sure we can be of assistance. You know? I, I'm thrilled that you were able to spend some time with us, and and I, you know, I feel like we this embarrassment of riches where it's like this master class and this, I didn't know anything about it. Now I know 
a little bit more, and I know 45 minutes more about it. Thank mm -hmm. you so much for that, Professor. I, I appreciate you. that. Um, one of the things we do at the very end of the show is we get to um, give a title to the show. So like you had a great title for your book, How to Succeed a Pro Private College or University. We want to give a title to this episode so someone who's looking through, possibly looking at other things that we've done around, because we have done financial planning, we've done risk management, we've done insurance, we've done a few of these. What would we call this show? Oh, my. Ex explore the possibility of financial planning? Maybe something like that? Can we get this down to three words or less? <laughs> Maybe five words. Explore. The financial planning profession. Sure. Okay. Okay. Thank you. And how do people find you if they want to learn more about this? Um, you want an email or? Um, uh, if I'm on the California Lutheran uh, University's website, what do I look for? Yeah, you could just type in my name and, and you'll get information. Got that. Perfect. I love that. And so that's Harry Starn, S-T-A-R-N, and they can find you yes. and contact you. And I'm, I'm sure that someone who's like, not sure about this or why would I do it, you will uh, you'll Absolutely. just talk Absolutely. to you. Perfect. Absolutely. Thank you so much. I also want to thank California Lutheran University School of Management for continuing to bring us interesting guests like this and Tolman and Weicker Insurance Services and our podcasting partner, Pull String Press, for this great place to continue to have these informative conversations. If you're interested in partnering with the podcast, send us a note to partner at 805connect.com. Now, Patrick, we've been um, you mm -hmm. know, studying this and listening hard, <laughs> right? And yeah. I know people have been taking notes. Um, how could someone actually help us with the show? Sure. Uh, the best way to help, obviously, is to rate, rate, review. Uh, put all sorts of information out there on the internet uh, to let other people, uh, you know, put up a flag. Let them know that this is a this is a podcast of great value to you. Uh, the other thing is, uh, mm. you know, emerge now. Let yourselves out. Um, uh, go to that thing called Facebook. You might have heard of it. Uh, it's a it's a new social media platform, and uh, and share one of these episodes oh, you through go. your Facebook uh, newsfeed. Uh, you know, you it's you'll find the other people uh, in a community in a network by by kind of acknowledging uh, your own guilty pleasures like this podcast. So uh, just you know, let yourself go. Feel free put put us on your Facebook page and uh, uh, let other people know uh, that you're listening to this. I made that easy for people. I went yeah. and put the social share buttons right on the Perfect. podcast. So Use them. Could, yeah, be go proud. Click around. Yeah, do that. Yeah. And especially with well, this one would be good on LinkedIn. Yes, excellent. As well, excellent right? LinkedIn. To your mm -hmm. professional clients. So um, I would love to hear from you specifically if you've got questions or an idea for a guest for an upcoming show. Drop me a line at mark at 805connect.com. And until next time, this is Mark Sylvester, your host for 805 Conversations.